Well, I want to welcome each one to these sessions on uh, prophecy and uh, understanding the Bible on prophecy. And I'm actually teaching, not actually teaching from a street in the old city in Jerusalem, <laughs> but uh, I'm teaching about two hours south of the Northwest, uh, Northwest Territories border in Alberta. And tonight, and a couple of nights, it's supposed to dip down to about minus 40, so I don't know where people are listening from, but some people will be listening from Hawaii or somewhere. I have no idea what it's like over, over here. But anyway, before we get going, let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word. I thank you, Lord God, for the large window you have opened into the future, and I thank you, Lord, that through your word, we can know what is coming. And I pray, Lord, that tonight you would be pleased to bless our time together. I pray, Lord, for those who will be listening tonight and then those who will be listening in the days to come. And I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you might minister to them and there might grow a hunger in our land for a hunger to understand your word and a hunger to understand Bible prophecy. So we commit this uh, session to you for that, as that you might be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we welcome you to join, uh, join us every uh, Thursday evening to look into the wonderful Word of God on the subject of prophecy. So I've called these studies Understanding Bible Prophecy. And our main question is this, what lies before us? Now, at the beginning of these studies, uh, um, or at least at the beginning uh, of these studies, is for those who are not familiar with Bible prophecy, and there are many in our land. And uh, I trust that these earlier, the earlier part of this, uh, these sessions will help you to understand the subject that is before us. Now, some of you will have heard me teach on this before, and I trust it will be a refresher. And uh, I also trust you will learn some new things. So I'm giving these studies in particular for those who do not understand Bible prophecy, and I am amazed at the silence in churches on Bible prophecy. Now, for our next session, we will have posted this class on sermonaudio.com forward slash M-E-C-L uh, and also on YouTube. And our sermon audio site, on our sermon audio site, you will be able to download an outline of the all the sessions. And if you're computer literate, you can just expand the outline and put your notes in and otherwise just take the notes and jot down the points as we move along. That's if you want to take notes from the class. Now, if in these sessions you have questions and there may be those online who have questions, you may send them to me, send them to me in email because then I can look at them and study them and I can copy and paste things from there. Send them to, uh, I'll, I'll let you write this down, P-H-I-L-S-C-H-L-A-M-P, P-H-I-L-S-C-H-L-A-M-P at gmail.com. 
And here's what I encourage. As soon as you have a question, write it down. Uh, at least that is what I have to do when I have a question because down the session a little ways I forget what my question was. And when I get your questions, I can think about them and respond in the next session. Now I'm teaching from a small room and have a few folk here. And here's the rule for our few, few folk. Uh, you cannot ask me any questions, but I can ask you questions. So. But after, after the session, then you can ask me any question. Now, our sessions are, uh, will probably be about an hour long, maybe a little shorter. We'll see how things go. And uh, I said we would go until March the 14th. I actually don't have any idea how long we'll go. I'll see how much time this takes. You know, I'm retired, so I can just do whatever I want to do. <laughs> so, so we'll just go till we're done. Now, um, you know, my, my normal way of teaching is class discussion. That is my favorite way of teaching. And usually I don't get very far in each class, so I'll be able to go a lot further. You can send me all the questions you have. I trust we'll be able to, uh, to do that. So this isn't the ideal way for me to teach, but it's online and uh, it will have to do. Now, as we will be looking at what is coming, let me mention here what is happening right now. We have the war in the Ukraine, and then we have war in Israel. With regard to Israel, we have the instruction in Scripture to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, there is quite a lot of news that is not trustworthy. Let me recommend to you some YouTube channels that give you uh, more accurate news. Uh, let me recommend Amir Tsarfati, uh, A-M-I-R-T-S-A-R-F-A-T-I. Also, anything by Joel Rosenberg, like the Joel, uh, the Rosenberg Report on TBN, or TBN Israel, which is done by an Israeli soldier right from in Gaza. He's in the fight there now. And then CBN News, not CBC. You don't want to go to CBC. CBN News. Then if you get anything by Israeli government spokespersons, Elon Levy or Jonathan Konrikas, who is an IDF uh, general, these are, these are worth listening to. Now with what is happening in the world today, there should be a scramble for an understanding of what the Bible says about the future. But what we have instead in the church in general is a decline. I wonder how many churches in our town preach prophecy at all. And it's amazing that, it, that there should be a decline in a time like we are. But what is happening? Well, recently we had the major health issue uh, called COVID. And without doubt, there is more to come, as we will see. Some who are watching the World Economic Forum say that climate change lockdowns are coming next. And they say maybe we will have 15-minute cities where you can only leave 
a hundred times a year and after that you pay fines for this and so on. No, I don't know what is coming, but I can tell you one thing for absolute sure. Change is coming. Listen to what King Charles said recently. I pray with all my heart, I don't know who King Charles prays to, but with all my heart that COP28 will be another genuine turning point for general transformational action at a time when already scientists have been warning for so long. We are seeing a learning tipping point being reached. I've spent a large portion of my life trying to warn of the existential threats over global warming, over climate change, and biodiversity laws. I say on many occasions, unless we rapidly repair it and restore nature's unique economy based on harmony and balance, which is our ultimate sustainer, which is our ultimate sustainer, who is he praying to? He says, this is our ultimate sustainer. Our own economy and survivability will be imperiled. Records are now being broken so often that we are perhaps becoming immune to what they are really telling us. Our choice now is starker and darker. We are all connected, not only as human beings, but with all living things so that all that sustains life is part of this grand sacred system. Who is he talking about and who? Harmony with nature must be maintained. The earth does not belong to us. We belong to it. And he received a standing ovation wherever he was there. December the 15th, 2023. Fox News had an article called the pronoun police have arrived. In part, it said this, if your boss required you to publicly announce that two times two equals five and you had to act like you sincerely believed it, would you comply or be fired? Unfortunately, tens of thousands of federal employees are being put to a similar test by the Biden administration. But instead of being required to deny basic math, they are being forced to deny basic biology under radical gender identity policies. A local pastor uh, said recently, with all the dangerous wars and places to live, where is the most dangerous place to live today? Answer? in the womb. Over a million, you ever watch the counter of abortions on YouTube or internet? Tick, 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 every abortion is ticked off. We, uh, Canada, America, we cannot avoid judgment. It cannot happen. Divorce is skyrocketing in and outside the church. If you are older, you remember when divorce was at least frowned on. Well, in our community, it still is. That's very rare. Today, I understand there are churches where people do not even recognize that divorce might be wrong. I'm talking about American churches. And in many churches, 
there are more divorced and remarried people than otherwise. The Catholic Church is on the fast track to fully accepting homosexuality. The gender issue and pornography are ruining scores of our young people. When they are exposed to things prematurely, as is happening in our schools and social media, their life is forever destroyed. No, they, they can repent, they can turn to the Lord, but they will live with consequences they can never get rid of. It's happening all over our country. Today there is yoga church. I understand in the, in the States there are lots of them. Yoga church. There are gay pastors, drag queen churches, and drag queen pastors. By the way, I just heard the BC is offering safe fentanyl to minors and adults. People like Beth Moore are having centering prayer sessions where they blank out their minds. We're talking about today. This is where we are today. Most of us as Christians, listen, this is what I believe, most of us as Christians have our heads in the sand and we'd like them to stay there. We do not want to know what's going. We do not, not want to know what's coming. But that is only until our children or grandchildren will be there. Then we will become interested. We are living, we are living in the last of the last days. In Revelation 12, 12, it says that the devil has come down to man having great wrath because he knows he has but a short time. Now, in Revelation 12, 12, do you know where we are? We are about halfway through the tribulation, so he has about three and a half uh, years left. Today, uh, he may have just a little more than seven years. We don't know. But when the Lord takes his people home, then he has seven years left. And as I see it with very little doubt, we are not far from that time, and the devil knows his time is closing in on him. We need to recognize where we are today. But let me encourage you with another prophecy found in Romans 16.20. And here is what it says. It says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Take the subject of God's people, Israel. Anti-Semitism is skyrocketing. Now imagine this. Hamas has committed atrocities that are unspeakable. But instead of facing huge rejection, they are gaining support in our country. It's unbelievable. It wants to make your mind come to a standstill. This is so outlandish. But again, let me encourage you about Israel with another prophecy. Listen to Jeremiah 31, 35 to 37. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured 
and the fountains of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. Now here's my question. Will Iran or Hezbollah or Hamas destroy Israel? Well, the answer is, you know, we would say it, that we would say it like this today. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. How do I know that? Bible prophecy. Yet in light of all that is happening, the study of prophecy is not increasing, but decreasing in general in the church. Why? At least partly because we are afraid of what's coming. We're afraid of the facts. If you are a Christian and you understand prophecy, it is not scary. But people who do not understand prophecy are fearful of prophecy. Truly, if you understand it, it's liberating. With regard to prophecy, I have not worked out these statistics, but it is commonly said that at the time scripture was written, anybody know how much scripture was prophetic at the time it was written? They say about a third. Now, a lot of it has been fulfilled, but when it was written, it was prophetic. If you get a little warm back there, you can open that door up. You're okay. Now, um, if one-third of the scripture was prophetic at the time it was written, is prophecy important? Well, of course it is. I am told that one in every 30 verses in the Bible, one in every 30, speaks of Christ's second coming. Um, do you have a view? I wonder, the listener, the listener to this message, wherever it may be, do you have a view of what's coming? Do you, can you picture a little from Scripture what is coming? For every reference to the first coming of Jesus, and the Jews missed it, there are about eight to his second coming. And this subject is not being studied in a day like ours. It's, it's incredible. It's really, it's unbelievable. Never have more prophecies been fulfilled in a shorter amount of time with the possible exception of the two or three years that Christ ministered uh, on earth. And today they are being fulfilled so fast. Really, if you keep up with prophecy teachers, there's just so much material you can't keep up with what's going on. Now let me ask you, um, what do anti-Semitism the negative views of Israel, that's anti-Semitism, the huge rise in immorality, abortion, drag queens, wokeness, and the lack of teaching on Bible prophecy have in common. What do they have in common? Answer, the influence of demonic forces. Let me ask you, who is it that does not want you to understand what is coming? Well, it's the devil, of course. And who wants you to know what is coming? Who wants you to know? Well, it's God, of course. That's why he told us about it. Have you considered what the Bible would be like if it would end at the book of Malachi? The last book in the Old Testament. 
it would be like reading about 80% of a book and then you don't have the rest. It's gone. There's no ending. You don't know what's coming, but... Now, read the end of the Old Testament and see how it goes. Let me read the last two verses for you. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. End of book. Yeah. Then read the first part of the New Testament. And you have four accounts of the birth, uh, birth and life of the long-awaited Messiah of the Old Testament. Then read the last book of the Bible, and especially the last three chapters. And there you have a book with a beautiful and complete ending. Chapter 19 sees the Lord coming down to earth from heaven. Chapter 20 sees a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem. It sees God come down to the new earth to dwell with man forever. And the last four verses of the Bible say this. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I come quickly. Even so, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Then it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And here is what you could say when you read the Bible through and you come to the last verses and they lived happily ever after. That's the end. Let me tell you about something that happened to me some years ago. I was teaching Sunday school in a Baptist church where we were attending. And it was not my topic, but during the course of the class I was teaching, I made some remark to some prophetic thing. And after the class, uh, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said to me, Wow, did you ever open up a can of worms this morning, eh? I think this is what prophecy is viewed like, can of worms. So I discovered he was referring to the fact that I had mentioned the topic of Bible prophecy. In his understanding, discussing prophecy was like opening a can of worms. Hey, by the way, do you know one of the reasons why churches won't uh, teach Bible prophecy? Here it is. I've told you many times. Doctrine divides. Doctrine divides. Prophecy divides. And I say this, doctrine should divide. It should divide. So to him it was a can of worms to talk about prophecy. And uh, to him and many others, discussing prophecy is something like discussing politics. Hmm? Well, I said to him, no, sir. Prophecy is not a can of worms. It is our view of it that is the can of worms. We are the problem, not prophecy. Now, it is true that prophecy can be a very confusing study. It is true that it takes a lot of mental activity to try to put the biblical data together. This is also why we have pastors and teachers. But the question is, what do we do when pastors are silent on such an important subject. 
Now, the study of future things is called eschatology. Eschatology simply means, anybody know? Have I talked about this before? End time teaching. End time teaching. Eschatos is the Greek word for last. So it is the teaching of last things. So it's just simply called eschatology. Now, I can see how someone not familiar with biblical truths could either become very confused or even be taken in by false teachings uh, when they sound very logical, which many of them do. In spite of all the confusion that exists, prophecy is one of the most beautiful topics in all the Bible. Nowhere in all the world, listen to this, nowhere in all the world, not in any religion, not in any writings, will you find prophecy that's trustworthy for the future. Nowhere. I mean nowhere. I've read through the Quran. There's nothing. Prophecy is one of, if not the strongest evidence that the Bible is the word of God. There is no possible way that anyone uh, but God could have prophesied the events prophesied in the Bible. No one but God could have known the events that were recorded in the word of God. Sometimes several thousand years before events happened. And with that introduction, we give ourselves to the biblical doctrine of prophecy. Uh, now, in these studies, I plan to cover two main points. First, we will look at a number of preliminary uh, things we need to understand. This section is especially for those to whom Bible prophecy is unfamiliar. And if someone is listening, you're unfamiliar with this subject, I would encourage you to listen through these messages or get some teaching from somewhere on it. So this is particular, uh, in particular for those who are not familiar with this. Then we will look at the most important prophetic events that are yet to happen. And I'm happy to tell you that the Bible tells us what is coming yet. Not all the details, but it, we get the big picture. We have recently experienced COVID, and more recently we have the war in the Ukraine and now in Israel. And what does the Bible have to say about what lies ahead? Well, it has a great deal to say. Understanding prophecy, listen, understanding prophecy is comforting. If people don't understand prophecy, they get afraid of it. You know, it's like learning a computer. <laughs> Those things are scary. If you don't know anything about computers, they are just scary. And then you find out, oh, if I do this, it'll do this. And if I do this, oh, pretty soon there you go. You're at least working to some degree on this thing. Paul taught uh, the Thessalonians about the return of Christ. And twice having dealt with the same prophetic matter, he says that understanding these prophetic truths, they are to comfort one another with them. They are comforting. They are not scary. If the return of Christ is scary to some listener, then make sure you are saved first. To do that, one must repent of one's sins and then accept Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not accept Jesus Christ. It's repent and receive Jesus Christ. For those who have accepted Christ and have not repented, listen, this is the sad news. You are not saved yet. 
to be saved, we must repent. We must understand we are all lost. And then repent of our sins and then put our trust in Christ. So from here on, we have to dig in and work uh, as we begin to cover the important material. So we go to the first main point of these studies, and that is gaining an understanding of the preliminary issues, uh, things we need to understand before we look at this in greater depth. So let us take a moment to define the term prophecy. Can someone here remember? Can you tell me what it means? What does to foretell? Okay. So that's what we generally understand prophecy to mean. It comes from two words, like most good words do, I guess. Pro and femi. Pro, pro means before. And the word femi means to speak. So it means to speak events before uh, they happen. Listen, if you want to talk to someone about the Lord, one of the things that I encourage, uh, sometimes it's really hard to know how to talk to people. But uh, this is what I do. I say, do you understand what's coming? And uh, there are many people that will listen if you talk to them about what's coming. So you talk about things that are coming before they happen. That's prophecy. But there is another aspect to prophecy. As anybody remembers, I've mentioned this numerous times. First uh, Corinthians, you might want to turn to it. First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3. First Corinthians 14 verse 3. Yeah, I should have someone read it. You got it there, Tina? Yes, I have it. Read it. Yeah, just speak it up. Okay. That he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So there are two uses of the word prophecy. Someone has described them like this. One is foretelling. That's the one you just read there. It's not prophet. It's not uh, foretelling events that are. It's foretelling, encouraging or exhorting, and so on. And the other is foretelling, foretelling and foretelling. So you can remember these two. The prophets of the Bible did both kinds. <laughs> That's also why they lost their life. Not the foretelling so much as the foretelling that costs you your life. Now, in our series, we're going to be looking at the foretelling aspect of prophecy. And we're going to look at events that have been foretold in the Bible, but have not yet happened. And there is a lot to talk about, but there are some things necessary to understand before we do that. Now, let me ask you. How important is it that Christians study prophecy? If you would rate it 1 to 10, how important is it? I've had a number of people say to me, Oh, Bible prophecy is all so confusing. Really, it's not so confusing. There are, there are things that are difficult. But if you understand the main issues, it's not quite so confusing. But they say, oh, prophecy is all so confusing. I think it doesn't matter what I believe about prophecy as long as I am ready when Jesus comes. I've heard this a number of times. So I ask you, look at all the people you have known. Are many of them that were seemingly at least ready at one time still ready? 
How many have you known? What has happened in the lives of many people you have known? Prophecy is a teaching that should help us to stay ready. Listen to 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And can anybody finish this? Anyone who has this hope, anyone finish that? Anyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. What is one of the things that causes the believer to purify him or herself? The fact that when he, Christ, is revealed, we shall be like him. But what if we have no concept about his being revealed? <laughs> we're not looking. Well, we're to be looking at all times. We need to keep our eyes fixed on his return, and prophecy is most helpful for that. But from that statement, that it doesn't matter what I believe as long as I am ready, I want to raise this question. Does it matter if I do not understand Bible prophecy? Does it matter? I understand that about a third of Scripture was prophetic at the time it was written. How important does God see it then? Or we might ask, does God want Christians to study prophecy? Maybe I could ask a more important question, and that is, does God hold Christians responsible to understand prophecy? And if he does, how much of the church is responsible? Sometimes we cannot come to a conclusion on certain matters on our own, and we need someone to teach us. There's, a, there's an account in the book of Acts where the Ethiopian eunuch was heading back home from Jerusalem. He was reading Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is a difficult passage for Jews even uh, today. And the Apostle Philip went uh, to him and he asked him, and he said, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch said to him, How can I unless somebody helps me? That's how we all are. We all need help in some area. And almost everybody needs some help in this area of prophecy. By the, by the way, the passage he was reading was prophetic. It was prophetic about Christ's first coming. Today we need, to help, uh, we need help to understand Christ's second coming. And I cannot tell you how very silent the majority of churches are on this subject. And that is very sad. I cannot believe so many Christians are content to not know what God has told us that is coming, especially when we have events like COVID and all that's happening in the world today. I invite you to turn with me to a passage in Luke chapter 24. Jesus had been crucified. He had been buried, and on the third day he had been raised from the dead. But most people did not yet know it, and as he was on the way to Emmaus, he met the two uh, sad I don't know if they were ex-disciples or they still were disciples. And as they walked along, he caught up with them and said, How come so sad? And they said, Are you the only stranger 
uh, in this country? Don't you know what has taken place around here? And Jesus said, well, what are you talking about? What events? And they said, well, we had a man here, and we had become convinced he was the long-awaited Messiah. He was a mighty prophet, and the things he did, well, we had never seen or even heard the likes before. We rejoiced. At long last, the time had come. And just when we were sure he was about to put down the Romans and set up the long-awaited, long-promised kingdom, he was killed. Our hopes were dashed into a thousand pieces. We were deflated beyond measure. But now some have come to tell us that he is alive again, and we are torn. We want to believe that, but we hardly dare, lest our hopes should be destroyed again. Now, I'm putting that into my own words. Now look at uh, chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There comes the one-third of scripture. What was Jesus doing? He was teaching them what they had missed of things God had told them about long ago. I wonder what he would say in the church today. Tell me from Jesus' own words, did it really matter what they believed about prophecy? Did it really matter? Of course it did. If they had believed their own prophets, they would have understood all along what would happen. And Jesus upbraids them for not understanding what they could have understood had they studied the prophetic word of God. Jesus called them, what did he call them? Foolish, foolish ones. Foolish ones. The word is anaetos. You know what it means? Ignorant. They were ignorant. Now, what the problem was is they did not know what they should have known. Now let me take you to the heart of the longest prophetic section given by Jesus Christ when he was on earth. It is found in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. We're going to Matthew 24. In this chapter, the time is just a few days before his crucifixion. And in this chapter, the topic is prophecy. And in particular, the tribulation. And in verse 15, we find ourselves right in the middle of the tribulation. And we'll study this in later sessions. But it is right here that the number 666 will take effect. And in verse, uh, this verse, Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and then we have in brackets, whoever reads, let him understand. Now, here Jesus states a fact that is still future to us. Let me ask, do you understand this prophecy? That's our, uh, there's a question for every listener. Do you understand what he's talking about? Now note the writer adds these words to this prophetic utterance. Whoever reads, let him understand. Have not most of us read this before? Well, then have we been obedient to this scripture and understood it? 
I ask, can anyone understand this statement without least a general understanding of Bible prophecy? Answer, no. Is it important to understand Bible prophecy? Well, we're told here to understand it. In Genesis 18, when God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Here's the question. Am I not going to tell my friend Abraham what I'm about to do? And his answer to himself is, no, I should not hide it from him. He will become a great man of God and a mighty nation, so I need to tell him. So God told Abraham what was going to happen before it happened. God always lets his people know what will happen before big things happen. Listen to Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing not even one thing, unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And God's servants, the prophets, wrote them down so that all God's servants might know what is coming. If God had written, uh, had prophecy written down so they might know what was coming, should we then study prophecy? Anyone who understands the prof prophetic word of God today can understand basically what will happen in Israel and in the world in the future. I can tell you that Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah will not destroy Israel. I know it from the word of God. So if it happens, you know that the word of God isn't true. Now, uh, we know that things will be troublesome in Israel. We know it will get worse. We know a man will rise who will seem to make peace. We know that he will bring about the number 666. We know that a false church will become very powerful and will work right alongside this man known as the Antichrist. For the Bible tells us that all of this is going to happen. So it is important to understand, is it important to understand prophecy? Does God want us to understand prophecy? Well, here's the question. Why else would he give it to us? Now let me give you the major events of history as related to the Bible along with the dates. And this will give more context to our subject. Uh, I want to introduce you to something called a timeline called a timeline this is a timeline of the ages I used to teach Sunday school and a lot of students taught them how to make this and to learn to understand here we have creation here we have the new heavens and the new earth and between we have the ages of time and uh, on this timeline, you can place all the events that took have happened on Earth. So tell me, what's the first major, major event in history? Creation, Creation of course. You know what the, the psalmist said? If the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? And you know, today, the foundations of creation is being destroyed all over. But we have creation, and then we have... Uh, the various events, and we'll go through some of those. Anyone know roughly how long before the time of Christ creation took place according to biblical numbers? 
4,000 years. That's why we say roughly 4,000 years. We're not quite the same as the Jewish calendar, but around 4,000 years. So the very first and great event, of course, is creation. Someone has said that history is his story. Uh, I read through the Bible. I read through it, and then when I'm done, I just start all over again. And as I'm making my way through this time, I realize that God had all of this recorded in order that we would believe and live a life by faith. That's the record of the Bible is for. And the Bible opens with the greatest of all events like this. Can someone quote Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, it is so phenomenal, that statement. But that's what happened. God created the heavens and the earth. If you are interested, we have a series of messages on Genesis 1 through 3 on sermon audio forward slash MECL. Now, these are incredibly important chapters to the entire word of God. I do not know if you have heard of the recent Renovari Bible. We have all kinds of Bibles today. But it claims that the first 11 or 12 chapters of the Bible are a myth. But you might as well throw all the rest of it out as well. And a lot of that holds true for many of our modern translations. I mean, that they're just not trustworthy. It is also incredibly amazing how many big-name evangelicals support some of these new translations. I'm amazed when I hear them quoting the message or so on. It is not a translation. When the first chapters of the Bible are undermined by any Bible translation, throw the whole Bible away. When a preacher comes and begins to question the validity of the early chapters, then that church is in trouble. There's just more and more going to come. I used to say that when your church begins to question the validity of these chapters, find a new church. But you know what? Today, you can hardly find a new church. It's just a big problem in our day. So that was creation. The next major event, and I'll give it to you, Noah and the flood. Anybody know roughly how many years after creation? How many? 1,500 years, maybe 1,500 years before, about 2,300 years after creation. 2,300, so it'd be about 1,500 years before Christ, probably something. Um, by that time, man had degenerated to such an extent that God destroyed all but Noah's family and began again to repopulate the earth. Let me add something here. Jesus said that few would be saved. What does few mean? I'm talking about our time now. What would be few? Well, in Noah's day, how many people were saved in Noah's day? Eight out of how many? What? What's that? Millions. Millions. <laughs> For sure, millions of people by that time. Uh, I, I'm not that good at math, but I'm sure it's somewhere around... The number saved was somewhere around 0. .000 something. 
A.W. Tozer of the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church said that in his day, now this is some years ago, he believed that, that uh, no more than 10% of people sitting in churches were actually saved. Now, all the, a number of the ministers that I've read and heard of that grew any age, maybe we become a bit, maybe we become a bit negative. <laughs> we get older, but, but they say that very few people in general sitting in churches are saved. A.W. Tozer said it like this. He said, if I'm wrong, I'm too high. That was a long time ago. What is the message in that? Here it is. Make sure you are saved. For quite a long time now, we have uh, taught uh, the gospel like this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For quite some time now, repentance has not been taught solidly by many churches. There are even those who say that repentance is not necessary. These are professing evangelical Christians. There are books written on this. Repentance is not necessary. Let me say as nicely as I can. If you have not been brought to realize that you are a wicked, lost sinner, and that unless you repent, you cannot be saved, then you need to consider if you are really saved at all. I can't see how it can be possible without true repentance. Salvation without repentance is not possible. So it is repent and believe, not just believe. We are not saved because we made a profession at one time, or we joined a church, or we got baptized. We are saved if we were truly born again. That means we understood that we were sinners and lost, and we repented of our sins and put our trust in Jesus Christ. Well, let me just uh, bring this. We have the timeline here, and here we are at the flood, and then we move along until we come about halfway in between the New Testament and here we come to the time of Abraham. Now we're, we're going through history to get a perspective of prophecy. Someone tell me who was the first Jew? Abraham. Abraham. Abraham, first Jew. About 2000 BC. Genesis 12, we have the great covenant God made with Abraham. So from the flood, we move forward some 300 years to Abraham. Now, Abraham was born about the time that Noah died. And God called Abraham to come out of Ur of the Chaldees to go to a country that he would show him. Well, wondered about that. He didn't know where he was going. And he told Sarah, we're going to move. Well, where are we going to move to? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> we're moving. I wonder how many wives would be willing to go along. So with Abraham, the Jewish nation began. With Abraham, the people we know as the Muslims today also began through a son of Abraham by name of what? Ishmael. The struggles in Israel today with Hamas are still Ishmael 
and Isaac. Then from Moses we go forward, or from Abraham we go forward to Moses, and uh, Moses wrote, how many books did he write again? Five. For, yeah, you know, in German we have Ishta Moses, Twitter Moses, up to five, Thefta Moses, and so on. So he wrote the first five books. Now for some 2,500 years there was, as far as we know, no scripture with the possible exception of the book of Job. 2,500 years. Do you know from, uh, from Adam to almost up to that time, they could always check with somebody who knew Adam. From then on, that was over and scripture was given. So we, we are now at 1500 B.C. Anybody know roughly when Saul and David came along? Well, Saul and David, it was about 1000 B.C. Then, uh, so we, we move ahead from uh, Moses 500 years and we come to King David. And... Uh, Jesus is called the son of David. He came through the line of David. I've just been reading through the Old Testament, read the book of Ruth and how she came in the line of Jesse, and David was born through that later on. So from um, the time of David until, you see, from after the time of David, after some of the kings, the kingdom of uh, the Jews split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, known as Israel and Judah. And uh, God told the God warned Israel over and over and over again. Now we've had plenty of warnings today, but He warned them over and over again. And then, eventually, the uh, northern kingdom was taken captive. So, anybody know the date? That's pretty, pretty, pretty good. It was uh, 722. No, that's, the, no, see, if I ask these questions somewhere along the line, you, you get some of these. <laughs> that's true for the listeners online as well. 722, very important date. The northern kingdom was taken captive. It never, never became part of the kingdom again. Then God warned the southern kingdom and said, look what has happened to your older sister. You better smarten up. And he warned them over and over again by the prophets. That's why the prophets lost their lives. <laughs> they were not well liked. And then the southern kingdom went into captivity. Anybody know that date? See now, 722 BC and 586. Those are the two dates uh, that are crucial here. So seven, 722 years before Christ, after years of warning from God uh, and disobedience to him, the northern kingdom of Israel was deported. It never regained power. Then God warned Judah, the southern kingdom, but they dis too disobeyed. And in 586 before Christ, they went into captivity. After the southern kingdom went into captivity, Israel entered a time known as the times of the Gentiles. What does that mean? 
Israel has always been under the dominion of the Gentiles and will be into the time of the tribulation. Listen to Luke 21, 24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Today, the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, said that a two-state solution is the only way forward in Israel. Let me read for you Leviticus 25, 23. You know what Israel has done? They have made some very, very huge errors. They traded land for peace. It has never worked yet. Look at all the sins that are taking place there today, and that is because they traded land for peace. There was peace that was promised that never took place. Listen to Leviticus 25, 23. The land shall not, here's God speaking, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. It's mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. So God said the land is his, and God gave this land to Israel. But Israel traded the Gaza Strip for the price of peace in 2005, and look at the price they're paying today. From when the time of the Gentiles began, we go now to the uh, last book in the Old Testament, which was written about 400 B.C., and what we're going to do is pick it up there next time, and we'll finish this history and then look into prophecy. So let's close with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We are indebted to you for your word. I pray, Lord, that today you might be found by many hearts and that many might come to hunger and thirst for your word, hunger and thirst to understand what you have said about the future. And so, Lord, we commit this session to you for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.